This week's episode is sponsored by TaxJar. So pretty amazing time, actually, I think, to be part of this reinvention with key meta trends that are out there right now, like belonging and placemaking bring people together or amenities that are driving community are being valued or flexibility and versatility are becoming table stakes in the design arena. Wellness design principles are a prime focus for, for us all. But last but not least, that physical and digital are going to become one or have become one. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. All right, everyone, we have a treat of an episode for you today. We have been covering a lot about the future of the store, what best-in-class experiences look like, and of course, the evolving role of technology in the design and visitor experience strategy landscape. So many layers, so much complexity, but also a lot of excitement. I wanted to make sure we had an expert that had a lot of experience with different projects, working with different teams, and of course, had a very close tie to the trends and challenges that are resonating with retail teams. That's why I am thrilled that I was able to get some time with Bevan Blomendahl, who is Vice President and National Practice Leader for Retail at Nelson Worldwide. Some of you may know him from his time at Timberland, and he helps guide global retail experience and creative services for the brand helps drive some really significant, tangible change for the business, and also helped create highly localized customer experiences. I wanted to pick his brain a little bit about his experiences there and how it inspired him to go into an agency role and how his learnings from Timberland and other past experiences have helped him set a path for guiding and supporting other retail brands and businesses as they try to find what makes their brand stand out and how to best tell that story through physical spaces. Bevan is so creative and so passionate about his work, and I really think it shines through in this conversation. Bevan, thank you so much for being on the show. It is great to have you on and excited to talk shop with you today. Alicia, thank you for having me. So you have an expansive history in retail and design. Give us a lowdown on your resume and how you ended up at Nelson Worldwide. So first of all, thanks for those kind words. Um, you know, it's lowdown. Wow. That kind of sounds mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you, it started before I even had an actual resume. I'm a Midwest preacher's kid. I'm a pianist. I'm a vocalist storyteller at heart. Um, it was clear from the start that there was value in bringing people along on this journey that I call life through narrative, visuals, and storytelling very early on. So that love of storytelling then became part of my life from working in both men's and women's fashion to being part of Kenny Shoes, Foot Locker, to Timberland. Decades, decades of learning from the best in the industry, but also creating milestone moments in each of those brands. And mentoring some of the best out there today. And now at this amazing brand called Nelson Worldwide, where I continue to be inspired and work with some super talented and passionate colleagues and practices that are 
constantly innovating in the space. I love that. So with that, I mean, again, you have that rich background in retail, working for brands in-house, but now that you're with Nelson Worldwide, I mean, what does your typical day-to-day look like? I like to ask because most people respond, well, not every day is the same, which I love. Um, But if you can kind of give a high level of what your work tends to revolve around and why you decided to make this leap from in-house to agency, I think that would be interesting for our listeners who may be exploring new career paths or new opportunities right now. Super. No, I am a crazy, crazy early morning riser. I am up at 5 a.m. every morning. And I find it's those early morning hours that I oftentimes feel those are kind of the moments where I have the most clarity and uh, creative momentum. Then it's jumping headfirst into this portal called my monitor right now on the desk um, to start Zoom calls with those amazing team members I talked about earlier. The retail practice teams are really passionate about being relentlessly relevant. And I use that word relevant, uh, you know, is an important factor. And it's only realized then with the leveraging of both data and insights and blending that objectivity and creativity to solve for present realities and honestly, future uncertainties. Let's be honest, we're all looking to kick some creative ass, I hope I can say that, sorry, in transforming the consumer experience. So what made me decide to take the leap from in-house to agency life? Well, I had the good fortune of creating the internal agency at Timberland, and it was called the Global Creative Services. And at its peak was seven cross-disciplinary groups, art and copy, digital and e-com, retail design and development, fixture procurement, let's see, visual merchandising, trade shows and events, and showrooms and project managements, all at a global level. And while we managed an incredible amount of projects internally, we also leveraged a lot of external agencies. And one of those external agencies was Nelson, where I admired the people and their talent and connected with them as kind of a, I don't know, kindred spirit of left and right brain thinkers using insights being, I mean, they were insights driven and creatively led and applying that to each of their unique projects. I just want to add one more element on that decision for me was that word unique. And then Nelson's team focuses on bringing that brand ethos to life without creating what I feel some agencies do and kind of that agency stamp style or look. Each of our projects need to illuminate the brand vision and meet the consumer's expectations in that experience for that brand in a memorable and engaging way. I guess you can say I'm going to use now my East Coast. We are wicked good listeners to the needs of our client and their hopes and aspirations. No, that's great. Definitely great context. And I am a New Jerseyan, so I will say swearing is allowed and sometimes encouraged depending on context and also appreciate a good wicked drop. So, <laughs> I love it. New Jersey. I'm going to live there also many years. We'll have to catch up. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I do want to go back to your point around being relentlessly relevant. It is something extremely top of mind, I think, for retail brands and businesses of all sizes across categories. So I have to ask, you know, in terms of like the conversations that you're having now that you are a part of Nelson and a big part of your work is forging and nurturing those relationships, you know, guiding your clients through this incredibly exciting, although also stressful time, I'm sure for a lot of practitioners. What are you hearing in terms of like their challenges or, or even in their priorities in their mission to be 
relentlessly relevant? Like, what does that mean to them? Yeah, no, it's an excellent, excellent question. Thank you. I mean, it is a new world out there for sure, as you were alluding to. And how we show up in this new world is one of the most fascinating opportunities, I believe, that we need to be cultivators of change. Now I'm leaning into that Midwest upbringing, you know, about cultivating. We literally need to turn up the soil and mix it up. We need to prepare it for a new day. We also need to be provocative in our expressions and transforming all dimensions of this human experience because there's this blurring of the lines right now of the physical and digital ecosystems that we're living in. (laughs) Time literally stood still for retail environments as doors were shuttered for kind of what seemed like an eternity only to reopen with outdated product and environments that felt unsafe or irrelevant and unengaging. That has only been exacerbated by an already rampant challenge for brands with retail environments in their fleets that are varied due to aged out concepts. Uh, Now add in capital expense budget reductions, creating an even more disconnected global consumer experience, making it our time to be those provocateurs of expression. And as I've said in my most loving and caring tone here, all right, let's put some lipstick on the pig. And I guess that's a little Midwestern too, but how do we help create a prioritization for brands and creating an approach to their retail ecosystem? Whether that's a digital experience or in strategically placed locations with varied elements, but tiered approach, holistically and viscerally connecting them all together. I'm still amazed when I hear people say, I can't wait to get back to normal. That type of thinking overlooks a huge opportunity out there today. And I'm I'm reminded of this anonymous quote I read during the lockdown time. It made a real impression on me. I hope it does for you also. But it goes like this. Nothing should go back to normal. Normal wasn't working. And if we go back to the way things were, we will have lost the lesson. May we rise up and do better. I was like, oh, my gosh, rise up and do better. Now, that's I don't know about you, Alicia. I mean, to me, that's an opportunity for us all. I mean, the world around us is craving more. More for their money, more interaction, more trust, more job security, more out of life. And, you know, honestly, as humans, we're simply programmed to look for more through our experiences in life. And it, it's it's our time. It's our time to make that happen. Yeah, I love that. And it definitely resonates, I think, with a lot of the things that we've been hearing from retail executives, from even just like the, the initiatives, the, the actions that they were able to take. I mean, for years before the lockdown, we were discussing, analyzing, like why change was so hard in retail? Why was it so difficult for businesses to challenge the status quo, reinvent maybe the brand holistically, or, or even just implement a new kind of experience that was more relevant and meangful, right? And when the pandemic hit and we saw these big legacy retail businesses move quickly in order to keep businesses going, it was like this big aha moment of like, oh, this is possible. Like, is it going to be perfect? No. But I think they were able to see that there was possibility and opportunity for moving faster, for thinking outside of the typical boundaries of their business. And I think for design and experience strategy specifically, we're seeing a very interesting, you know, discussion happening around how do we, what does meaning mean within my store experience? What does meaning mean for my brand, like you were saying? And I'm curious, you know, how this kind of ties back to your past experiences, you know, at Timberland, especially because there was this global 
viewpoint or this global approach that you had to take. You you were touching so many facets and, and different elements within the business. I mean, how do you strike that balance of creating meaningful experiences for consumers at that local or even personal level, but also staying true to the brand's vision and heritage. Like, I feel like that is such a tricky balance. And it's something that a lot of marketing teams, a lot of creative teams even are thinking about right now. Now you're so right. I mean, everything that you've just said is incredibly important. I'm actually glad that you are asking this question because it's a real passion of mine. And this is where my Dutch heritage is going to come out through being really pragmatic and truthful and kind of steeped in building a strong foundation. You know, I, I love quotes and I apologize, but I just think that it's, they're, they're so important for us. And Maya Angelou is one that I live not only as a personal, but also a professional one. It was people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And having a strong brand culture and a North Star is where it begins in ensuring employees and consumers feel something. They need to feel something, whether that's how I sang a song because I'm a, I'm a singer. If I don't draw you to tears, I didn't do my job. If we're not making people feel something as we are creating these experiences at an emotional level, we haven't done our job. So each employee or consumer, whether they're walking into a digital environment, a store, a website, or an office Zoom call, or a podcast like this, through narrative and storytelling, tone of voice and visual, they're all part of something bigger than ourselves. I don't know, creating that visualization of that purpose and having clarity around the expectations on how it can and will be applied can't be underestimated. I had the Going back at my time at Timberland, I had a wonderful opportunity to be part of creating that purpose and North Star, along with the guiding principles. I mean, those principles we all live by, like treat people with respect, don't let your dog pee on the floor, all of those things. So that made up the approach for decision-making for all the disciplines, like product design or store design, any innovations we were going after or categories, market focus, you name it. But having that clarity around that purpose and cascading it down to all the regions and every discipline was an amazing journey in itself, ensuring that you have a simple, digestible and localized for all languages and regions across the world. Having that foundation then held everybody accountable to the actions, ensuring that the output was strategically aligned with that purpose and vision. Now, I'm able to take those same processes and apply them to working with this amazing brand called Nelson Worldwide. That's great. And I do want to call out, you know, as I was preparing for this conversation, you have been lauded for your collaborative cross-disciplinary approach to strategy. And I think this is something that I really wanted to make sure we discussed today because we are seeing the emergence of new teams, the need for greater collaboration across the organization, especially as we think about the convergence of digital and physical experience, right? But it requires IT, it requires possibly marketing or, or CX teams to come together with design and visual merchandising and just, you know, the creative team more holistically. So I would love further insight into how you kind of see that collaboration taking place, maybe what has worked for you in the past and, and kind of like what is needed to support that collaboration, especially in the current retail climate, right? When it's all about frictionless and fluidity and ease. I mean, there are some probably big implications around like how the different teams work and come together. 
Yeah, I mean, thank you for those kind words. I'm I'm hoping that I have been known for being an empathetic and sympathetic leader um, that celebrates the diversity in thinking and skill set too, please. Not lauded just for my <laughs> collaborative cross-disciplinary, but I, I feel like I've been blessed in being um, a left and right brain thinker. So I get the value and the importance of numbers, profitability, strategy, trends, insights. Uh, they become that foundation for any and all creative output that will actually make a difference. But it, it became really clear early on in my career when I felt like I needed to replicate myself in anyone I was hiring. But instead, we didn't need more Bevins walking around, but rather surrounding myself with those who celebrated the diversity and individuality and processes and thinking and passions that would be brought together to create that magic. You know, there's people from strategy, insights, futurists, interior designers, graphic designers, architects, marketing, HR, finance, I mean, everyone. It's never about that one person, but rather the collective in my mind. And ensuring that choosing of those team members was important and important that they all shared that same purpose and vision and goals. I'm a big believer in lifting each other up, having each other's back, but being a visual complement to each other. Today, for me, this it's a very virtual world and the need for a cross-disciplinary approach is even more important with limited in-person time, limited face-to-face time. You know, we have limited budgets. We have limited time in general. I don't actually remember where I read this, but it has struck me with that. I think it's relevant to this question, and I'm going to paraphrase and hope I remember it correctly. Let me think. It goes something like this. We're there, but we're not. We're together, but we're thousands of miles apart. We all come together inside this digital ecosystem of an interactive environment. It's a window on a pixelated world. In the wondering and in the wandering, where were we or where are we? They're never questioned because knowing where we are going is all that matters. Look behind you as a reminder and look forward for what can be celebrating those differences and harnessing that power. For me, Alicia, it's it's just, it's critical. It's really important. That's great. I really love that. And I feel like there is a need for pushing creative boundaries now more than ever, especially as we think about the in-store experience. I feel like there's so much kind of (laughs) up in the air and like still very much evolving. Like you were talking about the pandemic specifically and the lessons for moving forward, you know, like what can we do completely new, completely different uh, rather than reverting to you back to normal, whatever, whatever that means. Right. And I feel like that especially applies to the more integral role of technology in the store experience. So obviously that collaboration is key, but it's like finding what really matters and what aligns with your North Star as a brand, right? Like what value are you trying to provide to the consumer, right? So I'm curious because your day-to-day is having these conversations with retailers. You've guided projects, you know, that include technology, I'm sure. So, I mean, how do you think technology specifically is impacting the work of designing creative teams? How do you see that changing? I mean, again, collaboration is crucial in, in bringing new stories and new concepts to life, especially through physical spaces and experiences. But how do you think technology specifically is changing things? It seems like a never-ending question, doesn't it? I mean, it's... Yeah. it's <laughs> Even just providing the context, I was like, wait, but what about this? And what about that? Like, there are yeah, so many yeah, ways to address it. So many years of, you know, like, how are we going to approach this? And how is it impacting us? You know, I'm, and while I realize that no one can see that I'm holding up in my hand right now an iPhone, but I am. 
I'm holding up my phone and I, I can't even get into my car without it. I can't turn the, my house lights on or off without it. And it's a trillion dollar company has, has transformed our lives. Uh, you know, we have a love hate relationship with them because, you know, they change the charger ports or something. We have to like buy more accessories. I mean, it's a smart move on their part, but we have this love hate relationship. But we as consumers today expect value beyond the transaction and experience that are going to transcend that product. And they've done exactly that. I firmly believe that we're living in a me, me-centric world where the consumers and customers are now fully in charge. And you, know, you could ask, what does that mean for us, Kevin? You know, it's like for all time or until now, consumers have had agency, but they lack power. Now, because of that technology, social media and the blurring of the physical and the digital worlds, consumers have both. The physical space has got to be defined by the kind of relationship that they want to have with the brand and giving them what they want and delivered in a way that they feel is an authentic relationship and personalized experience. And you said it earlier, just a minute ago, that's frictionless, but yet it has to be sticky. So pretty amazing time, actually, I think, to be part of this reinvention with key meta trends that are out there right now, like belonging and placemaking, bring people together, or amenities that are driving community are being valued or flexibility and versatility are becoming table stakes in the design arena. Wellness design principles are a prime focus for, for us all. But last but not least, that physical and digital are going to become one or have become one. So all of these trends for me have, have some element of tech impact in the way that teams are approaching it. However, However, it's going to be completely dependent on the brand and its value proposition and promise to the consumer. So we've seen it over and over before that the desire to be more tech savvy meant just throwing screens big and small in places where they were actually never meant to be. I think that you know, there needs to be a considered balance of tact and tact. And I say tact for that tactile reason. I said there are some incredible moments of smell and touch that can be replicated. They can be recreated in the tech and digital world right now that creates a lovely differentiator for some brands. And even though we're living in that technological enhanced world, let's not forget that humans need humans to feel human. And I believe that a brand that wants to remain relevant, they've got to deep dive into what that means for the customer experience where they want transformation versus transactional places to go. So back to your question. So how is technology impacting the work of design and creative teams? Well, I can speak for Nelson worldwide. It's an incredible time of reimagining and reinventing, but renewing our own approaches in this digital ecosystem. And we're doing it one experience at a time, making sure that you know we become more and more tech savvy with our relationship with the tech, but the tech is one that is accommodating to the connection needs of the consumer. I definitely think that balance of tech and tactile is so important because there are certain things that physical spaces and physical experiences provide that digital can't, right? And vice versa, too. I'm sure like there are some unique differentiators of digital platforms and experiences, especially that it's so measurable. But we're seeing that slowly get into the store, right? Like we're seeing analytics tools really helping provide insight to the creative and the tech teams around like what's resonating, what's working well. But it, I could imagine it requires that careful balance of left brain and right brain, right? Like 
being creative, embracing storytelling, staying true to that North Star, but also like knowing, okay, is this working? Like are our investments making sense? And if not, how do we how do we assess that and improve over time? And I'm sure technology, like <laughs> those implementations probably make it a bit more complex and adds another layer to that analytical process. So I guess the question is, like, how do you kind of strike that balance? Like, say you're part of that creative and design team, right? Should you try and bring, like, the technical folks in earlier or the IT team in earlier to ensure that, like, both sides are kind of met at once? Or, like, I guess my question is, do you have any recommendations around ensuring that all of the boxes are checked, that you're hitting those creative marks, but also ensuring that like those tech implementations go seamlessly. Because I could imagine that if you do things too late, it could throw things off course. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it's a fair question. And it's also fair to ask that same question for any aspect of the design process. It's not just even the technical part. I think we can reflect back to your earlier question about being cross-disciplinary as a holistic approach. I'm one of those believers that there's an incredible value in assembling a, a powerful but varied group of critical thinkers and doers to collaborate and engage on the human values and needs of the brand, um, that while we're designing those moments and places and possibly tools that will elevate that human experience. So it's only going to happen when you have a collective of individuals that are really insatiably curious or they're fanatically dedicated to their passion and craft. I mean, it's like a party. I mean, it's a celebration of diversity and inclusion and thinking and capabilities, which includes those that are reserved or the crazies or the practical ones or the esoteric ones. And it's amazing to be part of that and surrounding yourself with such genius, but gaining their perspectives and thoughts. But as you said, it has to come earlier on in the process. It's like, it's got to be a constant approach to inclusion early on. It's like planting those seeds in people's heads and watching it come to life. It might not, people don't know this, but I'm incredibly reserved. I'm, you know, I'm not one to speak out first. I'm very thoughtful about it, but I think it's that level of inclusion and understanding and celebrating that diversity and thinking is really critical throughout each of the process points. That's great. I also, in prepping for this conversation, I heard that you were a Virgo as well. I am also a Virgo. <laughs> so I understand how we analyze everything and rethink everything. <laughs> yeah, we have to remind ourselves, when is good good enough sometimes? Oh, gosh. Don't even get me started. That's a whole other episode of the podcast, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. From marketplaces to social selling, the opportunities for e-commerce retailers to grow their business has never been better. But selling on more platforms and in more regions means increasingly complex sales tax requirements. TaxShar automates the entire sales tax compliance lifecycle for retailers, including real-time calculations, multi-channel reporting, nexus calculations, and automated filling. They simplify your sales tax so you can focus on the important stuff, like developing great products and attracting customers. Visit TaxShar.com to learn how we can help. Before we go, uh, there are a few other key trends and anything new developments in, in the store world that I want to make sure we hit. And the one that I'm seeing slowly creep into the conversation is sustainability. I mean, we're hearing a lot about sustainability from a brand and product standpoint, right? Like these purpose-driven brands that are rethinking how they manufacture products, ship products, even how they package their products, right? Which is fantastic. But I'm seeing little glimmers of, you know, more sustainable 
approaches to store design, whether it be through fixtures and materials. So I'm curious, I mean, how are you and the Nelson Worldwide team thinking about sustainability and store design? Are you hearing any conversations from your retail and brand partners regarding this? Is it a priority right now? Or is it something that you're trying to bring more into conversations moving forward? It's another question that's been, you know, being asked for years, hasn't it? I mean, it's, you can probably guess from my past life at Timberland, we took sustainability really serious and was built into every decision that we made. And honestly, I mean, being a Virgo and also you're probably doing the same thing. It's a real passion, personal passion of mine. So sustainability should be a constant hum for any human being in this day and age, right? I mean, I think so. I mean, we should all want to feel like we're making a difference and leaving not only the consumer, but the world in a better place because we help make it happen. So we all need to be part of the crusade. I mean, there's some staggering numbers. I mean, a full 50% of consumers say that the pandemic has caused them to rethink their personal purpose and reevaluate what's important to them in life, along with 71 percent of consumers prefer buying from companies aligned with their own personal values. And those are staggering statistics. So Nelson, it is something we are consistently cognizant of and put into practice through purposeful choices, but now have additional layers to amplify, you know, think about it. I mean, there's wellness design, there's regenerative design, the impacts of biophilic and salutogenic design, and the principles that will create transformational change for the earth. And at the end of the day for us as humans. So let's be honest. I mean, are any of us consistent at 100%? That would be a for sure no. But we're making steps and doing the right thing and going in the right direction. I think about, you know, given the unfortunate circumstances of the supply chain and the availability of resources, we need to be making concerted efforts and minimizing poor choices right now at this point in time. So With regards to your second part of your question, are we hearing anything from retail organizations regarding this as a priority? Honestly, I think it's really more understood in some of our other practices like mixed use or workplace and healthcare, where there is an increased understanding of the benefits of healthier and happier places. I think it's incumbent on us within the retail practice to educate brands on the same value proposition for the retail environment. the positive impact that it could have for them also at the customer level and employees, creating a much stronger emotional bond. Going back to those staggering numbers, you know, there's going to be some better brand affinity for them at the end. And it's a process. It's a process in creating clarity around those possibilities and potential of added value to the experience. I mean, you think about when LEED certification first came out, it was quiet. I mean, people were like then jumping on and jumping off of it. I think we're in that same place right now that we have to be constantly thinking about it. Yeah. So it should be more of a ongoing conversation point or part of the strategic approach versus like at the end of the process, oh, and what are we going to do about sustainability? And I think that's something that people kind of lose track of. Like if it's not built into your Going back to your point around like your North Star as a brand and as a business, it's difficult to kind of like rethink or reframe how you go into those conversations with sustainability as part of the process. So Yeah, and those are interesting conversations with brands when you think about it. And it has to be done in the very beginning because, like I said, it's an education. They're not aware of it or it's not a priority for them as far as some of those elements. And we all know it. I mean, our wellness factor meter is at an all-time high right now. I mean, mental health statistics and what have you. And we do need to take some of those things into consideration. 
it's not just for hospitals. It's not just for healthcare. It's not just for the workplaces where they've got great places where they can have outdoor spaces and giant windows and or, you know, great fresh air being blown in. We need to think about it also at a retail level and how the impact can be made strategically. But let's start that conversation early on. Agree 100%. So before we close things up, Bevan, with predictions, I want to ask you about new store concepts and formats. Again, going back to your work and your history in-house, I'm sure this was a big part of your work, thinking through, okay, what new formats do we embrace? How do we mix flagships and traditional retail formats and pop-ups and experiential activations. I mean, there are so many exciting ways to bring the brand story to life, but I could imagine for some it's difficult to figure out where to prioritize, you know, how to focus their strategy. So how are you and the rest of the Nelson team advising clients on perfecting this mix? Are you seeing retailers and brands kind of lean a certain way? Like I've seen some data around like the resurgence of like flagship concepts and how that kind of allows brands to really lean into their creative storytelling. But I'm curious, like, what are you hearing in this area? Well, I'm going to probably be a bit controversial because I'm saying that we need to strike the F word out of our lexicon. Ooh, tell me more. You you know that I meant the word flagship, right? Not the actual F word. Flagship equals to me, you know, and to some folks, a lot of retailers that we've been talking to is big dollars or they're one-offs. They're something that they may learn from, but they're never able to really replicate it unless you have the budgets like, sorry to say, but Nike or Apple or Coach, you know, so it's time consuming. There's short-term buzz on these things when they open up. I mean, the list could go on. The Nelson team, we've working in a retail ecosystem of micro to macro moments, And those experience are environments that work separately, or they can work together, ensuring that holistic, relevant experience at the right moment. There is an incredible value of pop-ups. And you mind if I share some examples? I would love some examples. Okay, cool, cool. My past life, we, we used the concept called flex retail environments, where there are opportunities that created PR buzz, they had brand relevancy, and we made it a real estate strategy, actually. And You think about some examples like creating real positive impact on future decisions and brand positioning. So back, I've got to say, 2016, and we're going back a ways, but we start thinking about, you see the downward trend of shift of retail. It was coined, what, the great retail apocalypse, which is like retail's dead, dying, whatever. Dude, you know, there's a slew of reasons. E-commerce is becoming really strong. We were over-mauled. What experience, economy was coming out. There was poor management, whatever. And it was at that time that at Timberland, we decided to do a complete retail environment in roadie cases, literally roadie cases that would cost less than 200K. They'd be assembled and disassembled in two days or less, and we called it flex retail. It was a fully operational structure, lighting, wall systems, floor fixtures that would take over empty locations in malls or street locations where we wanted to test whether the value of having a store within that particular market without making the real estate investment of a build-out environment or a lease. So these locations would pop up for two to four months and with those results in hand, would create a solid framework on any decisions that would be made on taking up leases. So that was an important opportunity and it taught us invaluable lessons there. The second one I'm gonna talk about is more recent and that was when we did a pop-up on Fifth Avenue in New York City and we took over a landmark historic corner, um, which was a bank. and. 
we could do nothing to the space. You couldn't change any of the architectural inside, but we wanted to usher in what we were calling and had developed as our purpose-led retail experience design. And this pop-up was only going to be there for two months. It was going to have a rain room, Instagrammable moments with snow. We brought the outdoors, indoors, an incredible living wall and plantings and trees. And it was a new, completely new strategy on the customer journey and category waiting and guest and employee interaction. Huge success. You know, it was supposed to be up for two months. It ended up staying open for two plus years before the COVID shutdowns. So you're seeing examples of unexpected pop-ups or flex, unexpected opportunities. And let me take it even a step further. This idea of collaborations isn't just for product anymore. Timberland, you know, my past life, we did a ton of collaborations. I'm sure everyone has seen the IKEA and H&M Atelier 100 collaboration. It's reaching out 100 kilometer radius out of London, and they're asking for makers and creators who will be mentored by these experts in the field of design and with the output of these projects or products or whatever being put into the Levat meeting places. It's just like really fun stuff now. I mean, it's not just product collaborations now. Now it's brands collaborating with each other in a really big way. I'm thinking, Alicia, this might just be, what is this an opportunity maybe for Nelson and who else? Collaboration. Let's maybe get the ball rolling here. <laughs> There's always that kind of idea of exclusivity and need, want, I've got to have, draw that we all want to have. So yeah, I'm a big believer. Yeah. I think that's a really strong point, Bev, and that and notice that we're seeing glimmers of brands collaborating. Like a few years back, maybe they would be seen as possible competitors or like they're essentially chasing after the same customer, right? But now they're realizing, oh, like you fill holes in our product portfolio or in our experience portfolio, and we can help you this way. Why not just do it together? And I think that whole idea of like adjacencies, like looking for connecting points between brands, looking for ways that you complement each other and figuring out how to bring the brands together in a fun and meaningful way for the consumer, right? Because going back to that point, like it's all about creating ease and convenience, but also like presenting this this story and experience in a way that resonates and in a way that creates meaning for the consumer. And partnerships are a great way to do that. I agree 100%. Such powerful, powerful moments for the consumer. I mean, and it's just, I mean, it's noteworthy. I mean, when you see these come, these things come across, you're just like, what? I never expected Adi and name your brand or Lavat or Ikea and H&M. Who would have thought? It's like, it's those moments where you think, okay, now that's something I need to learn more about and go visit and be part of. So yeah, powerful moments. Yeah, for sure. So to that end, I mean, we're closing up our time together, Bev, and thank you again so much for taking the time. But I know we could go on and on. I feel like there's always so much to talk about in this space, but I would love to close up with any predictions you may have. I mean, you've done this work in-house for Timberland and in the brand world, but now you're helping so many other brands and retailers bring their strategy to the next level. What trends do you think will really rise to the top over the next year? Or what trends do you hope will rise to the top? Well, I'm going to tell you that one of the biggest trends is going to be big white beards. (laughs) And anyone that will see his headshot in the show notes will understand. (laughs) Yeah, I, I realize that no one can see me right now, but I'm still wearing it proudly, people. I'm still wearing it proudly. Okay, seriously. Uh, you know, I may look like Moses, but uh, I'm not. I'm not a futurist, nor do I have a crystal ball. But 
I will tell you something that I believe in, and I know so many others listening to this fantastic podcast that you have to do, is that we all believe in the power of retail. Whether that's through standalone stores or it's part of a mixed-use environment or unexpected collaborations and pop-ups like we were just talking about, this whole retail-tainment opportunity that we have out there and events and experience, and retail's just never going to go away. However, a big however, how we approach retail is absolutely going to change and is changing. And I think that, you know, Alicia, you and I have covered most of that already on our time together today, but... I'd like to leave you with another quote, and it's from John F. Kennedy that I've grown to love, and it goes like this. Conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. Conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. It's like crazy, crazy. And I'm going to add my two cents worth to that quote now by saying, today's the day to break from normative influences and challenge sedentary approaches, if not today. When, if not us, who? Lisa, thanks so much for the opportunity to have this conversation with you and these you know, wonderful folks out in this digital ecosystem. So thank you. Thank you, Bevan. Really loved our time together. I think you have such a fantastic and creative way of thinking about how teams can better work together, how to bring new ideas to the table. And of course, to push outside of that status quo. And I know it's a bit uncomfortable for certain teams for managing approvals, red tape. I mean, just getting outside of your own personal comfort zone as a member of a team. I mean, it's challenging, but I'm sure the rewards are, are out there. And I think we've spotlighted a few of them today. Bevan, thank you again so much for taking the time. And to all of you listening, if you have any follow-up questions or comments for Bevan, I'm sure you will. We're going to be sure to tag him in our social posts on Twitter at our touchpoints and on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. We would love to keep this conversation going, share new ideas, different examples that have really resonated with you. I think at the end of the day, we are all consumers. So sharing what has resonated with us, you know, could lead to some fantastic ideation. And of course, if you liked what you heard today, leave us a rating and review on your preferred podcast player or network. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else. We are probably there. We would love to hear from you. And finally, shameless plug here, subscribe to the show to get more fantastic conversations like this one every week delivered directly to your device. Thanks again, everyone, for the great chat today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.